Hello, leaders. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. Welcome to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Leadership Excursion Company. Their fall schedule is out, and one of the more popular courses that Leadership Excursion Company offers is leadership training for managers. So do you want to be a manager or a leader? We help anyone who is looking to be promoted into a management position for the first time or any time over the course of your career where you're transitioning into a new leadership role. So this could be uh, moving into a director position or a VP position, or you might be opening a new business. So statistics show that 60% of managers fail within the first year and 40% fail in general. And we believe it's because we're not giving people the skills and the tools that they really need to be a leader. So we've developed a two-day course. On day one, we'll be in the classroom. We'll be speaking about uh, practical leadership tools that you can use to inspire your team. And then on day two, you will get the chance to practice being a leader. You'll be working with our horses out at the ranch, and this is all self-discovery learning, where you'll learn about nonverbal communication, trust, confidence, all of those things and all those traits that you really want to have as an effective leader. So visit leadershipexcursion.co forward slash schedule. There are a couple of scheduled courses there on the page that are available for individuals to sign up. And the same course is also available for groups of three or more. And that's where we can customize things a little more um, to fit your organization's needs. On today's show, I'm so excited. We have Michelle Costigan. Michelle is an art therapist. And what was so interesting to me about my conversation with Michelle is she has a very rare profession in Las Vegas. you know, she's out there, she's working on getting new clients and not a lot of people really know what an art therapist is. So we dive into actually what that is, how art therapy can help you. Uh, we also talk about self-care, uh, how to market yourself and market your business as a new business owner. And then also uh, the one thing that really struck me the most about my interview with Michelle is she she knows exactly what she wants to do. She has gone to school for a number of years. She's an art therapist. However, the rest of her life is in flux. She's not sure how long she'll live in Las Vegas. Um, she's discovering what self-care looks like and how she can incorporate that into her life as a business owner and a number of other challenges. So we really dive into that and I appreciate her vulnerability and her honesty and everything she's doing to find her way. And with that, we welcome you to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. Join us as we explore personal stories of leaders who are making an incredible impact in their businesses, lives, and communities. Get ready to be inspired, see things from a new perspective, and learn new tools to help overcome challenges. This is what leadership looks like. Hey, Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Cree. Thanks for having me. It's about time. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been on the river, you've been doing all sorts of stuff, um, and we're going to dive into your story. Okay. Um, you're an art therapist. Yes. Is that the appropriate way to say that? Yes, Okay. That's correct. Okay. Which I'm totally interested in learning about that. Okay. Because I have no idea what it is. It sounds cool. 
<laughs> yes. So art therapy is a type of counseling therapy, um, but you use the art as an entry point to connect with someone. So a lot of times trauma is stored without words. It's stored as images. It's stored as body sensations. And so if you're going to a traditional talk therapist and you're going to be talking about those experiences, it's that's not the part of the brain that the trauma or the memories are stored in. So I enter through a different point. So we enter through the images and um, it's a very powerful tool because people have the ability to kind of take their power back when uh, they're making art, they're in complete control of the images that they're creating. And oftentimes when people have experienced trauma or other challenges in living, they feel completely out of control. So the tool of the artwork gives them some power in telling their story in a way that they want it to be told and can help to work through some of that trauma memory and be able to integrate it so it no longer has the same ability to pull people from the present moment and kind of, uh, uh, I guess, attack someone's someone's uh, level of functioning out of nowhere. Okay, so now that you're explaining this, I'm <clears throat> taking time to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I, I think about um, when you see kids who draw a picture, mm-hmm. you know, and they might draw something that is traumatic or have some sort of element in there and it, it, it opens up the conversation. Is it kind of like that? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you work with both children and adults? No, I only work with adults okay. at this point in time. Yeah. All right. So tell me about you. Where did you grow up? How did you um, find this career path? And, and, uh, uh, and then we'll talk more about what you're up to today too. Okay. Um, well, I was born and raised in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Um, I found this career path. I've always been a creative person, so I started dancing at a really young age, playing music. My first job was actually teaching piano lessons out of my house when I was 15, so that was kind of a cool in- entry point. Um, I had experienced quite a bit of trauma and adversity as a child, and for me, art was a way to work through that. So it kind of felt like a natural uh, natural progression into art therapy and assisting other people to find their voice through images. Okay. And then how does one um, decide to have this as, or how did you know that this was even a career? <laughs> so I was actually watching a television show, Joan of Arcadia. Do you okay. remember what that it was? <laughs> Gotcha. Okay, I'll have to check it out. <laughs> it was it was a TV show that came shortly after September 11th, um, where the the main character uh, spoke to God, and God appeared in these different people that would just kind of show up in her life. Um, and on that particular show, she was volunteering in um, a, a shelter for women and children who had been impacted by addiction and abuse. And she was volunteering with the children doing art with them. And I was like, hmm, is that a thing? And so I kind of looked into it and noticed it was a career. And that's that was the first spark that, oh, this is actually something that I could do for a living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as I learn more about you personally, mm-hmm. um, I noticed that you do work with um, people who are recovering from addiction. Correct. And... Um, 
you know, you describe your path as, you know, I was an artist growing up, I taught piano lessons, I, I watched this show, but how did you really make the connection to incorporate art with therapy? Where did that happen for you? So that actually was a, a personal awareness when I was in high school. Um, so I was the type of kid that wouldn't really talk about things that were happening. So kind of grew up in this this culture of secret keeping, if you will. And it actually impacted me physically. So by the time I got to high school, I was in a lot of pain. I had a lot of like abdominal pain and um, I actually started losing consciousness. So I would just be passing out periodically. Um, so after many doctor's visits and a lot of different tests, um, they said, well, it's all in your head, essentially. Nothing's wrong with you. And I was like, what? Yeah, what do you do with that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, I am not conscious. I'm in very, very real pain. Um, and so at that point in time, the doctors had suggested that I go see a psychologist. Um, so I went to the psychologist and I was, I had to start talking about some of the stuff that I was holding on to. And um, over time, a lot of time, the pain started to subside. And I noticed as I started talking about things, uh, my own personal story was coming out through my artwork. And that felt like a safer place for me to share my story because it, there was some level of anonymity and distance from the story. When I'm creating an, a piece of art, we can talk about the artwork. We don't necessarily have to talk about these specific um, experiences that were impacting me in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was just a an an easier way to bridge the gap to bigger conversations or um, yes. uh, higher levels of self awareness. That's kind of what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. All right, so you figure out this is a thing. You're interested in it, and then what are the next steps you take? <laughs> um, I'm kind of neurotic. Okay, <laughs> so I knew I needed a master's degree to be an art therapist. So before I even was looking at colleges, I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and I talked with them about their master's in art therapy program. And I was thinking, okay, what are the prerequisites that I need to so, be able to get into my master's program? So this is a program. Yes. <laughs> that you, an art therapy program. They're out Correct. there. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. It's a master's level okay. program. You need to have uh, that degree in order to practice art mm -hmm. therapy. And so I went to that school, was figuring out what the prerequisites are, and then kind of worked backwards from there to find my path to get there. I wanted to make sure when I went to college that I had everything I needed in order, in order to get into an art therapy program. Okay. Oh, you're going down this path and you still, you're, you're still like, yes, I like this. I enjoy it. This mm -hmm. is still what I want to do. So you get your undergrad and then you're, you're going to get your master's. Correct. Um, how did you end up in Las Vegas? So my partner, Jen, is in medical school out here. Okay. And so she moved out here in 2015 to start that journey. And then I followed in 2016. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you like Vegas? I love it. Actually. Yeah. Yes. I mean, coming from Chicago, there's no mm -hmm. rain and hail or whatever crazy <laughs> That was one of happens. my most exciting things. I was like, I don't have to shovel snow. I don't have to mow the lawn. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to do any of that. I pretty much don't have to wear a jacket. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty exciting. Um, all right. So you, you have your degree now. And this is, I can imagine that, that this is a difficult um, thing to sell. You know, how, yes. do you, how do you sell yourself? And um, 
talk about, because before we started recording, you were telling me about your work and exactly mm-hmm. what you do. So let's start with your services first. Okay. Like how would one and why would one seek out an art therapist? Um, and I think you kind of touched on that a little bit, but let's mm-hmm. let's drill in, let's drill down on that a little bit. And then your personal journey to your private practice, like how, how you've ended up where you are today. Okay. So if someone was interested in um, going a little bit deeper, if they had been in talk therapy and, you know, it just wasn't giving them what they felt they needed, um, I would recommend trying an alternative approach. So art therapy would be one of those types of approaches, although there are many others out there as well. Um, You do not need to be an artist to benefit from art therapy. In fact, we prefer that you're not an artist because most people that come in with an art background are looking at their artwork in a different way, kind of mm-hmm. very perfectionist and the image isn't coming out the way I want it, which can kind of put an additional challenge in uh, the therapeutic relationship. So no art skills necessary. It's really about finding a new way to express yourself and to um, share your story. And so uh, you can go to the American Art Therapy Association website and they have a find an art therapist um, tool. So if you're interested in finding an art therapist, you can type in where you're located and they can link you up with people who are registered and certified to practice art therapy. And that is a caveat that I want to put out there because a lot of people um, in the therapy community do use art in their services, but they might not have a background in art therapy. So I would caution people to do their research and see, does this person have the appropriate um, educational background? Do they have the appropriate training in order to provide these services? Because the art can actually open up some some (laughs) emotional things that if if people are not trained to to deal with those appropriately might leave you in a kind of unsafe um uh emotionally vulnerable situation i think that's just good life advice right yeah like anytime (laughs) that you're going to hire someone um to provide any type of service or to Mm -hmm. help you you definitely want to do that research absolutely and make sure that they're qualified Mm -hmm. yeah um all right so what does a typical session, what's, what should someone expect when they come to see you? Um, typically, we will start with a conversation, just mm-hmm. kind of getting to know one another, um, building trust in the relationship. I really emphasize safety in the therapeutic relationship, particularly if someone is coming in and they are um, trying to work through some more challenging things, that safety is really important as a foundation in that relationship to feel comfortable allowing themselves to be vulnerable. Um, so we typically will start with maybe creating an image of, of a safe place and talking about what does safety actually mean to you? What is physical safety? What is emotional safety, intellectual safety, spiritual safety? What are these? How are you identifying what safety is and do you have it in your life and what can we do to bring safety into this space so you feel comfortable going deeper um and from there so we'll start kind of relatively surface level yeah, and then it's from hard there to, we'll go down yeah it's hard to feel safe it's hard to be vulnerable in the first place right so okay so that's good to mm-hmm. know you start with a conversation mm-hmm. um typically i will introduce the art medium, if people are unfamiliar with the different supplies or the different tools that I have, I can show them how to use them and what types of tools they have. Um, 
part of my background as an art therapist is in fine art. So I feel pretty comfortable directing and guiding people with how to use the materials if they come across a place where they really want to create an image and it's just not happening the way that they want it to. I can help step in and um, assist them to reach that goal uh, visually with their artwork as well. Okay. So do you, uh, what does the art portion look like? So do you just give somebody a blank canvas or do you provide direction? I'm just so intrigued Mm -hmm. by this whole experience. (laughs) So there's, there's both. So, Mm -hmm. um, it really depends on, on what the person needs. So currently I offer art therapy groups. Um, and so one type of group would be a more directive group. And I would have a group of people come into the space and say, okay, today we're going to be exploring this topic. And here's the directive. Here's what I'd like you to be thinking about as you're making your artwork. You can use any of the art supplies you see available to kind of reach this, this means. So one of the directives that I have given um, is thinking about the, these two voices in your head, your inner critic and your inner protector. And the critic is the side that really just tears you down. The inner protector is the side that gives you strength and kind of builds you, builds you up, gives you motivation and encouragement to keep going when times are tough. And so we think about these two parts of the self. And I would ask the, the clients in the group to create an image to represent what those two parts of themselves look like. So they can use collage materials, find words and um, images to represent these two parts where they, they can create their own images using any of the art supplies available. So that would be an example of a more directive group. They'll have some time to create their images. And then at the end, we'll come back together and we will share. We'll process what what was that experience like for you? What came up for you? Which side did you feel came easier to you? Um, and we'll actually talk about the process of creating the artwork as well as their, their final product, what the art actually looked like. Okay. So the other side would be um, kind of more loose, an open studio type group. And um, that's where people come in and there's all the supplies available, open time, I'll put on some music and you have time to create whatever you feel like you need to do in that, that time. And at the end of group, you can share whatever you're comfortable sharing or nothing at all. Okay. So the individualized, obviously you're having a one-on-one conversation with someone. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in a group setting, there's other people. So you would be sharing and openly discussing um, not only with you, but also with a group of people. Correct. Okay. Um, That sounds really cool. So you have a private practice now. I do. And how did you get to get to this point? Uh, So (laughs) I was so burnt out (laughs) when I was in graduate school, even. Um, I knew I wanted to be an art therapist around age 16. And I was, as as I told you earlier, I was looking at grad schools. I was way, um, oh gosh, what is the word I'm looking for? kind of pigeonholed myself into this career and had my blinders on and was just going, 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 going. So when I graduated grad school, I was so burnt out. I was working a lot um, at that time. um, And I was like, I want to be a dog walker. I'm so tired. (laughs) You needed something else (laughs) to to break break things up, basically. Yes. I didn't end up being a dog walker. (laughs) Okay. You were just like something else, anything. Yeah. Yes. Um, Which is a thing, by the way. Yeah, dog. It is there. There's an app. I think it's called Wag. Then where you can be a dog walker. Anyways, I digress. <laughs> um, 
So I didn't end up doing something different. Uh, I graduated with my master's degree and applied to 50 different jobs. And I was not being called back because everyone wanted two plus years of postgraduate experience. Um, So what I ended up doing, I ended up working as a mental health technician where I didn't need my master's degree for that, um, but it got my foot in the door. And I worked in a, as a mental health technician in an inpatient child and adolescent psychiatric hospital in one of the most dangerous parts of Chicago. Um, and there was a lot of <laughs> a lot <laughs> happening in that position. I was living probably 90 minutes away from the hospital, so I had a three-hour commute on the ends of my workday. Um the entire time that I was in the hospital, I was hands-on with the kids all day. Um, and that was an amazing experience to get to know um, what it was like to be working in this field. Um, and I actually had some other opportunities present themselves as I was working in that facility. Um, I was able to also work as a recreation therapist able to bring in some of the art therapy background. And then by the time I left, I was working um, in a social work position there. So it was a good first experience, got my feet wet and showed me really the ins and outs of what mental health care looks like. Mm -hmm. But I was tired. (laughs) Um, It was a lot of work. And about two weeks after I started working there, they had a layoff. um, And they laid off a lot of um, other staff members there. Fortunately, I was not one of the people that was laid off. And I'm pretty sure it was my education that saved me because they knew that they could use me in a whole bunch of different roles. Um, But because of the layoffs, uh, when our census increased, we were working a lot. So there were days I would be working 16, 17 hour days and then still have my commute on both sides of the day and have to come back bright and early the next morning. Um, And while you're on the floor with the patients, um, there is a lot of crisis happening there. So it was an acute psychiatric hospital. So people were coming in suicidal, um, psychotic, aggressive. Um, So when you put a whole bunch of those personalities together, there's bound to be tension, (laughs) chaos. Um, So in that position, I spent quite a bit of time um, talking with uh, the patients and de-escalating crises, physically intervening in fistfights, stopping people from self-harming. So there was just a lot of um, hands-on crisis management in that role, which became too much for me. I was really burnt out. So about a year after I was working there, I transitioned to work in an outpatient uh, community mental health agency. And I stayed there for about two years. Um, And during that time, I got to practice more individual one-on-one counseling, which was really awesome. I developed an art therapy program there. Um, An open studio art therapy program was doing a lot of individual trauma-focused art therapy sessions. So I felt like I was finally kind of getting into my groove um, and kind of easing in, um, which was was nice. I really enjoyed that. But again, it was community mental health. There was a lot of crisis. Um, Mental health care is underfunded in pretty much every state, uh, which means that we were seeing clients back to back to back to back to back uh, for eight hours of our workday. So 
53-minute sessions and then seven minutes to do the note, then 53-minute sessions, seven minutes to do the note. Um, So there was no time to really breathe (laughs) in that position either. Um, And then if people didn't show up um, for, for their sessions, you know, there was crisis work there. You had to outreach to them and make sure everything was okay. Um, so again, I was very tired. Um, so this had gone on for a while. Um, I ended up moving to Las Vegas in 2016 after that position. Um, and I started working in a residential treatment center out here, uh, for people struggling with, um, addiction and as well as mental illness. Um, and I (laughs) maintained my role in the residential treatment for about six weeks before I knew I can't, I can't sustain myself doing this. And even back in my first year of full-time employment, I knew this is not something that I can do full-time for the rest of my life. I don't have the emotional capacity or the stamina to sustain myself until I'm 65 or older in order to retire. Um, so I knew I need to find some something else. And so when I moved out here, I met and started networking with a bunch of wonderful heart-centered therapists that were all in private practice. Um, and so I explored what that would look like for me and kind of wrapped my brain around the idea if I work private practice I have more flexibility in my schedule. I can be more selective about the um, people that I'm choosing to see so I can kind of screen out any really high crisis cases that may not be appropriate for outpatient care. Um, And I don't have to see 40 to 60 clients a week. Yeah, that I want to touch (laughs) on that a little bit that that's insane. It is. (laughs) Um, You know, helping others is is a challenge anyways. Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned funding. There's not a lot of funding for these services. And it's so right. important to have these services available to to people who are going through whatever challenge they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I often wonder, why aren't we also taking it a step further and taking care of the people who are taken care of? Absolutely. I think we take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and in your case, uh, yeah, I completely see why you would burn out. What was the attrition rate at the in that environment? Were people burning out pretty quick? Yes. So yeah. I the longest time was my that I've been in a position, a full-time position was that I don't know, 26 months that I was in the outpatient community mental health center and by the time I left at 26 months I was one of the most senior staff members there. Yeah. In your opinion, what changes could be made in in that type of a working environment that would have, you know, enabled you to stay longer or been able to just tolerate mm-hmm. and be able to take care of yourself? Uh, one of the things that actually did help me maintain that position for the time that I was there was my colleagues. I had a really great team of people mm-hmm. that I was working with. I was able to develop friendships with them, and I felt like I can actually be authentic <laughs> in these relationships with with my peers and my colleagues. I have the support that I need. I was also seeking art therapy supervision hours at that time. So um, in, in my supervision outside of work, I was also getting pretty ample support. Mm-hmm. Um, in the actual work environment, it's tough because I can recognize that it's not all on the agencies themselves. There's 
a whole system in place that's failing the staff and failing uh, clients as well <laughs> in, in practicing all, self-care. It's all billable time, right? It is. But so, for example, in that that agency, if someone doesn't show up for their appointment, mm-hmm. that's not a billable hour. So you need to have a certain number of billable hours, which is why they fill our schedule so much because, you know, people who are struggling with addiction, they might not show up. They might relapse. They might have some shame and and not come back. Um, People who are struggling with mental health, someone who's really depressed might not want to get out of the house and come talk to someone that day. So it's, it's really hard um, when everything is based on the, the money and the, the insurance companies um, to, kind of fund these these resources to meet that quota with people who are sick and don't don't want to to work on that that day um it's it not so black and white yeah is what we're getting at <laughs> absolutely you know, um billable versus non-billable does not match up with somebody who's in recovery you know or a patient um Kind yes. of what is kind of what it, I'm it, you're picking. Yeah, up, they're yeah. taking the human element out of it, mm-hmm. um, and it's the the algorithms and the insurance companies that are kind of pushing this way of working onto clients. Probably those people don't know, yeah. <laughs> know someone or know what it's like to to be struggling to the point where where people are when they're coming in for treatment. Yeah. We could probably talk about this for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. All right. So what did you do to take care of yourself? I think you started to talk about it. You, you know, you had the people that you worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, you had support at home. Mm-hmm. You know, but how does a therapist really take care of themselves? Like, do you have conversations? Are you do you are you um practicing your own art, you know, to mm-hmm to kind of have your own outlet. What other things are you doing more specifically? So consistency is a challenge for me. Yeah. (laughs) I think for most people, consistency is tough. Yeah. But self-care has always been my like primary focus, especially throughout graduate school. When I saw how burnt out I was getting, um, it was something that came to the forefront. Like, oh my gosh, this is an exhausting career choice. I need to really take care of myself in order to sustain myself. Um, So when I would go to art therapy supervision, which was about three hours once a month, um, that was what I talked about. Everyone else there was talking about their clients and the stressors that were going on in the work environment. Um, And I was like, I need to take care of myself. This Mm -hmm. is my three hours and I'm going to use it to to talk about what's going on with me and how I can sustain. Um, And so I would... I do (laughs) Um, continue to make art. I practice yoga. Movement is something that is really, really important for me. I notice um, uh, my body tends to hold stress and hold energy. And so I can tell when I haven't been moving for a few days. I was like, oh, this isn't good. So Mm -hmm. I'll go hiking. I like to spend time in nature, do yoga. Actually, I just started working as a kayaking tour guide to kind of bring in some of the the things that fuel me, um, spending time in nature, connecting with other people, uh, getting some of that physical activity in. Um, so it's really important for me to do those things. And yeah. also, you know, just spending time with people I love is really important. Right. 
Right. All right. So what are some of the challenges that you've experienced with having your own practice? Um, the part I'm really interested in yeah. learning is because uh, when I was getting to know you, mm-hmm. I just did a Google search for yeah. art therapist. And I can't remember the name of the website that I found. I'll put it in the show notes. But um, you, your name was the only one that came up in Southern Nevada. Mm-hmm. And But it's this is also so unique you know and maybe if you come from a city like chicago where there's actually you know a a university that has this program so people might might know what it is Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can tell me if i'm wrong but i i kind of get the impression that people in vegas might not know that this service is available to them no they don't you know so this is not only are you working as a therapist but now you're you have to be a business owner and you have to market yourself and sell yourself you know, mm-hmm. and, and what kind of challenges have you experienced in doing so? So again, it was <laughs> kind of going back to the burnout. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when I took the leap into private practice, there is always this piece of me that's thinking survival, right? And so I decided, you know, I'm going to stay where I'm at full time. Um, I'm going to drop down to two days a week. I'm going to stay there. So I have a steady stream of income, so I don't have to worry <laughs> about yeah. that. So I was working there a couple days a week, and then the days that I was not working there, um, I found myself networking and marketing. I have uh, a cash pay only, private pay practice. I'm not paneled with any insurance companies, and that was a decision that I had to make for myself, um, which was a challenge to bring patients in because people – don't have the means to pay full Mm -hmm. fee for mental health services. Um, So I was aware of that additional barrier going in to to marketing myself. But I made my website. I got on social media platforms, um, was talking to other therapists, just really marketing myself. What I found was that I have this piece of me that has always been working 40 plus hours a week. in, in those different positions, I had actually had side jobs as well, (laughs) in addition to what I was doing. Um, and so the idea that I'm actually only in an agency 20 hours a week right now, and I have three days completely free to just work on this business was (laughs) completely overwhelming (laughs) for me. And I, um, I felt guilty if I wasn't spending every moment of time during those days doing something business related. I felt like I'm not doing enough, which was kind of a suffocating. <laughs> suffocating yeah, I, I went through the I went through a very similar experience mm-hmm. when I first started my business. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, every waking moment, I felt like I had to be working on the business in order for it to be successful. Yeah, it's t- right. it's tiring. Yeah, yeah. So. I I realized uh, a couple months in this is not healthy. <laughs> I should not be should not be putting in this much time. I was transitioning into private practice to have a little bit more work life balance and to be able to take care of myself. Um, and actually, if I can go back a little, um, my private practice was set to open in October and. The Vegas shooting happened October 1st. My that's last in 2017. Yeah. In 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my last week of private practice, or of, of working my full-time agency job, job was 
working a lot of crisis work with my clients to kind of initially address the trauma associated with that event. Um, To give a little background, when I was in my first year of college at Northern Illinois University, there was a campus shooting there. And so I had already been through a period or an episode of mass violence, um, had been directly impacted by the effects of that, had moved through the grieving process. Um, So for me personally, waking up and hearing the news of that was triggering for me. And then having to go to work and be this support person for other people who had experienced the same type of trauma that I had experienced um, was tough. (laughs) Yeah, I I can't even imagine. Yeah. And so the reason that I share that is because um, I kind of hit a wall uh, in February of 2018. So the shooting at NIU, which was where I was a student, that happened February 14th of 2008, which was 10 years to the day of the Parkland shooting that happened this past February. And so I that day, I was having kind of this like anniversary reaction to my own experiences from several years before, and just kind of feeling really overwhelmed, um, and still processing what had happened in our city, just a few months prior when I found out about the Parkland shooting. And I thought, you know what, <laughs> this is a sign. I just need to to take a break. I need mm-hmm. to focus on taking care of myself. I'm clearly not taking care of myself. If like news on Facebook can throw me into like, oh gosh. I, and I, there was also a piece of me that's like, this has been going on for almost 15 years now and nothing has changed. Right. And so there was kind of this piece of hopelessness and kind of helplessness um, associated with that. And so at that point in time, I was kind of reflecting on all of the time and energy I had been putting into private practice and realizing, you know what, I need to put some of that time and energy back into taking care of me. And so I decided I'm going to put a hold on accepting new clients and I'm going to figure out what's going on, (laughs) what's going on with myself and really focus on self-care. So um, I I did. I stopped seeing clients, um, accepting new clients at that time. I continued to see the the handful of people that I had been seeing in private practice, um, continued to work my contracting jobs, and then explored some other options. So um, at, at that point in time, I realized, you know, I don't, my partner at that point in time is going to be done with school next year. I have one year here. So how much time and energy uh, do I want to put into building this business when I'm not even sure if I'm going to remain in Las Vegas a year from now? There was a lot of unknowns and kind of in this weird transition space. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to figure use the, the rest of the time that I'm guaranteed to be here in Vegas to just kind of figure out what I want my life to look like. Yeah, because at this point, I mean, you've just been you've been going full on. Yeah. You know, you've been going to school, you've been working, you've got a, a side job all the time. Um, you know, you're learning how to take care of yourself and, and navigate new working environments. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know, this seems like a, a big time in your life where you're just, you're learning a lot of lessons. Absolutely. You know, so I'm interested to know, there's been a lot of paths that you've been traveling down. Yes. And then you hit a lot of crossroads in the story you've told so far. Mm-hmm. Step me through how you process, um, you know, the, those crossroads and then come to the determination that you're going to go left or right. Okay. <laughs> it's not that easy. <laughs> no, it's not. And that's no. why I'd like to know. Because, um, yeah. you know, for a lot of reasons, I, I think that um, your path is challenging. Mm-hmm. Um and I want to learn. My path is challenging. So I want to know what you're doing, you know. And then you're a trained therapist, yes. You know, so how are you processing this? Um, I I, do, I don't know. I, I just want to I want to learn how you process how you how you work through those moments. So at first, it was just identifying it and sitting with the emotions that came up for me, which was hard because, as I mentioned, I had been like on a single track, this is what I want to do. I got licensed in Illinois. I got licensed in Nevada. I'm fully licensed and I'm working. I'm finally at where I thought I wanted to be. I have my private practice. Like this is my end goal. And I'm here and I'm like, "Mm, this isn't really what I want or what I expected. And so then I was like, I never prepared a plan B. I have no idea what's next. So there was a little freak out. <laughs> yeah. Did you beat yourself up at all during those moments? Like, or were you just, this just isn't working. I need to figure something else out. I think it was more fear than yeah. like beating myself up. Yeah. Um, again, that kind of survival instinct kicked in. I was like, well, how am I going to support myself? And there's always a piece of me that knows I'm going to be okay. I can go work three part-time jobs <laughs> and I can do I can do a lot of things and just be able to support myself financially. It was really about finding that emotional safety mm-hmm. again um, and taking care of, of those pieces of me that might have been neglected <laughs> mm-hmm. when I'm solely focused on being that that support system for somebody else, which is interesting when the therapeutic relationship because there's so much that I can't bring into that room when I'm sitting with someone else who's in pain. Um, and while a certain level of vulnerability is good to develop rapport and develop trust with someone, that time isn't mine. That time is is the other person's. So there's a lot that I have to just, you know, I'm going to check this outside the door. I'll come back and visit it after my work day. And then I don't have anything left to mm-hmm. take care of me. Um, I just went on a tangent. Um, uh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess to take care of in, in that moment, I was allowing all of those feelings to just be. Um, I started uh, journaling and um, I actually use something called the morning pages, Julia Cameron's the artist's way morning pages, which is like three pages of stream of consciousness writing first thing when you wake up in the morning. That was really helpful. It was kind of like this brain dump to just, okay, I can start my day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually interesting by the time you get to the third page, all of that muck kind of gets cleared away and you have some clarity. Um, I reached out to my support system. I contacted my art therapy supervisor who I was seeing back in Illinois, who had since relocated to uh, Pacific Northwest. Um, so 
I contacted her to see, hey, can you help me provide some guidance in this transition? Contacted my own therapist, <laughs> got uh, got myself a good team of support people, mm-hmm. um, and made sure that I was eating healthy, getting enough sleep, going to yoga, making art, reading for fun, um, not work-related materials. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm sensing a pattern there too. Yes. By the way, like, oh, this isn't working out. I'm going to go work on the river, or I'm going to go walk dogs, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's been a process of just kind of sitting with the things that are coming up, being gentle with myself, knowing that it's it's going to be okay. I'm going to yeah. survive. Yeah. Okay. So are you? It seems to me like you're you're going down this path and and you hit a roadblock and you don't really see it as a failure. It's like, you know what? This just isn't working. This doesn't feel right. This really isn't what I want to do. More like you're learning. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. Um, I had been to a a training in the past and they had just asked people by a show of hands, uh, how many of you have had a failed like business venture? And I was reflecting on this the other day. I was like, I don't know that I would call this a a failure. Mm -hmm. Like, I I just went into it and I realized, you know, this isn't really who I am or what I want to be doing. I don't enjoy the marketing piece. I don't enjoy being on call 24-7. I don't enjoy using my cell phone as my business phone. So when it rings at 10 p.m. on a Friday night, I have this, oh, gosh, is everyone okay? Is someone yeah. in the hospital? Has someone overdosed? What's happening? Right. Um, so I think for me, it was more... Like I got to where my end goal was initially and realized I'm no longer the person that I was when I set that goal. And so my priorities shift and I need to shift with them. And it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what, who or what drives you? Because you keep going. I mean, it's like, I I picture you like this little (laughs) bouncy ball, like, oh, this doesn't work. I'm just going to bounce right over here. You know? So, you know, what, what keeps you going? To try the next thing and to kind of not be afraid to do the next thing. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, cool. I'll figure it out, you know? Yeah. I think there's a big piece of trying to be my most authentic self. And I think based on my personal experiences growing up and I guess my professional experiences as well, I've kind of always been put in this position where I can't show up hundred percent. Like I can't bring my stuff, (laughs) my stuff with me. I always have to have some sort of wall, um, in these, these different situations to protect myself or to protect other people. Um, and so I guess that's, what's kind of the driving force is being able to be 100% authentic in the relationships that I'm creating with people and in my work as well. I think the the shadow parts, the the uncomfortable stuff is just as important as the other stuff. In fact, that's the stuff that kind of defines us and makes us who we are. Okay. Tell me um, any books you're reading right now or, or what podcast do you listen to or anything like that? I actually... I haven't really been listening to any podcasts aside from yours. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I like that answer. <laughs> and books, um, this is going to sound weird, 
also kind of off the wall. So Jen, my partner, was studying for her board exams um, a couple months ago. And I was like, I'm feeling so unproductive. I have no idea what I want to do with my life. You're over here like putting in hours and hours and hours. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to learn Spanish. (laughs) So (laughs) I started practicing Spanish. So right now I'm reading a whole bunch of children's books in Spanish to start that process you really don't like having nothing to do (laughs) 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 yeah that sounds interesting but you know it doesn't surprise me like it doesn't surprise me that you're like you know what whatever I'm doing in my life right now I'm just going to do something totally weird and and do that so it gives me a sense of purpose and it gives me a sense of meaning when I'm doing something where I'm continuing to work on my own growth as a person okay um you have you're I think you're going to be a lifelong learner. I mean, you've spent a lot of time um, educating yourself, being a business owner. Um, Tell me what you, the top three leadership traits that you believe someone in your position who is a a therapist who can potentially work, you know, for another company or have your own practice or whatever Mm -hmm. it is that you want to do. What do you think those top three traits are that, that one should have in that position? Humility. Um, <clears throat> compassion and vulnerability. Okay. I like it. Yeah. In addition to those, those leadership traits, um, advice for anybody who's, who's kind of finding their path and, and isn't quite sure what they want to do and is in a place where you are right now where you really don't know what the future holds. You're sc- it's a little scary. You know, how, how does somebody take care of themselves and, and really work through that? What's your advice for them? Breathe. Okay, that's a good, yeah, we have to do that. Yeah. Um, Acknowledge what's happening. Um, Use your support system. Reach out to your network of people. Talk to people. (laughs) Get to know what other people are doing because it's not a unique experience to get to a place where, oh, I'm not sure if this fits me, who I am anymore. Um, So... The more conversations you have, the more opportunities will present themselves. Don't be afraid to say yes. Also, don't be afraid to say no (laughs) if something does not feel right or is not giving you good feelings. It's okay to say no. And that was a lesson I had to learn the the hard way. Those those are good. Those are good. Listen, Michelle, thanks so much for coming in and uh, sharing your story. Of course. And I look forward to learning what what lies ahead for you. Thanks. Me too. We would like to thank our sponsors, Leadership Excursion Company. If you'd like to be a sponsor, send us an email, info at leadershiplookslike.org. And we would love to have you sponsor the show and cover some of the costs associated with hosting and bringing inspirational messages to you on this podcast each week. If you'd like to learn more about Michelle Costigan, check the show notes. You can also find her at Alta Wellness here in Las Vegas. Thanks so much for tuning in and for your support. And we'll see you again next week.